0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nakoom Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. What a weekend! We're going to get into Ravens Steelers lived up to the hype, no doubt about that. The Saints get it done the hard way. The Seahawks much more straightforward for them. We're going to get into all of the big stories from Week Eight Sunday. In the NFL, Ben Isaac's back in the house. Let's get straight to it. Ben, welcome back to the show, man. We love having you on so much that we thought back-to-back appearances were in order.
0: Yeah, you've got to give the public what they want, or contrary to public demand, I don't know, one of the two. One of the two will work. Uh, speaking <laughs> of public demand, we're all
1: pretty hyped up about Ravens-Steelers, and it lived up to that, bidding. What a game.
0: Oh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's... We know it's one of the best rivalries in the NFL, and that's partly because it's two teams that have played a, played a similar style through the years of tough, brutal defense, absolute kind of like black and blue football, which you love to see. And this one was a wild one. And so often, especially it feels like the 6 p.m. early slot, there'll be, there'll be a game in there that I'll get absolutely really hyped about, and then it'll be a damp squib, and this one wasn't. But halfway through... I thought, okay, it's another letdown.
1: It's interesting that it was in this slot. We were getting into this on our radio show last night. It was surprising when he looked at what was in the latest slot and, and Sunday Night Football, which oh. gonna, considering the, the, you know, there's always this talk of the top-heavy windows, uh, the early window being too top-heavy and the NFL should balance it out a little bit more. But that's usually okay when there is a, a storming game in in the second window, and I guess they figured at the time that the Hawks 49ers would be that game, you know, not the injuries notwithstanding, obviously for San Francisco making that not a particularly fair fight, and you know, Saints had something about it, but this was clearly the headline act of the weekend. So surprising it was in the six o'clock slot. slot or do you like the fact it's in an early slot?
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. There was my my favorite time to watch a game is is that six p.m. slot, especially if you've if you've had the build up and then. That kind of that sort of sets it sets it up. I'm always much more alert for that 6 p.m. game rather than rather than Sunday night football, where I am always in a daze. Mm. Um, thankfully, obviously, I don't need to talk about this one because you need to be in a daze to actually get through it. But but with with this one, if you if you've got that treat early though, it's a very difficult act to follow. No other game managed to live up to this one. I mean, it was obviously it had a great it had a great finish. But it was, it was the classic tale of two halves mm. and a tale of two quarterbacks. And Lamar Jackson, the reigning NFL MVP, he lost the game for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say <laughs> there's any sort of quarterback controversy or is Lamar Jackson... Is, is, Lamar, Jackson, the quarterback is Lamar Jackson, the Jackson elite? That's of what I want to hear he out is. of your mouth. Oh. He is eliter
1: than Joe Flacco. Uh, Joe Flacco, for all your Americanish listeners out there. All right, let's talk about this though because the second time the Steelers have done this to Lamar, we talked about this on the preview show, of course, that last season in his MVP season, uh, Lamar was rattled by the Steelers in a way that no other team managed to do that. Same again, right? He was sacked four times. Uh, that is tied second in terms of his entire career for the most number of sacks he's, he's taken. Turnovers were obviously an issue as well. With... Uh, One or two exceptions, he couldn't really get into any kind of rhythm with the passing game. His usually explosive running game was very much apparent, but as you say, he had the turnover uh, issue there, the fumble issue there. So it was, by all accounts, an under-par performance from him. 13 to 28, 208 yards, two touchdowns, two picks was the final line. Three times he fumbled, and, of course, two of them ended up in turnovers
0: yeah those those turnovers if you give four of them away obviously it's it's difficult to win a game he could have probably got away with just two maybe three turnovers and they they still would have won because of the mm. because of how the lead that they had built up in that first half some of them were mental errors some of some of it was him forcing it some of it was him trying to do too much and You do get that with a player like that. He is a special player. He's a leader. He puts the team on his back and he is incredibly talented and he can do it all. We've seen him do it all. But Pittsburgh know how to defend him more than any other team. Obviously, they see him twice a season, but that's not helped the the Browns and the Bengals up against Lamar Jackson. The Steelers frequently were putting um, a fifth linebacker there to kind of basically kind of Keep Lamar Jackson honest. It yeah. made it more difficult for him to do things just short over the middle, or to make those designed runs uh, through the gaps. And it was it was an absolute masterstroke. the way that the, the way the Steelers were coached in the second half is is just as important as the as the mistakes Lamar Jackson made. because He was forced into those mistakes by good defense. It wasn't just Lamar Jackson having a having a terrible day because he did some fantastic things as well. It was just the Steelers defense was absolutely superb.
1: Well, it was very much a, a, a tale of two halves, particularly for the Steelers again, of course. It was the inverse last time out against the Titans when they were looked in complete control and then were, were very different Both on both sides of the board in the second half there. Same thing here, in particular the offense, which was terrible in the first half, but in the, the second half, and of course we understand these two things are connected, of course, that the more effective your defense uh, is playing, then it does have uh, an obvious impact and vice versa, And particularly the latter. If the offense, if you're controlling the clock, controlling the ball, giving a defense a breather, then of course that is going to have a significant impact And the fact that uh, the offense just wasn't there at all in the first half, but was much more competent in the second half. I think had a, a clear bearing on uh, how the Steelers' D was playing in the second half as well. But what changed? Because Roethlisberger in, in particular, Ben, we've talked about the evolution of this Steelers offense this season and how he's got this collection of, of brilliant receivers around and that he likes to, he likes the short game to them, right? He likes to dink and dunk it around that just couldn't get in any kind of rhythm in the first half, but the second half much better, a seven and a half yard average depth of target Roethlisberger, 23 of his 32 attempts were on passes less than 10 mm. yards. So they got into that rhythm and type. What has been effective against most teams this season and did it again against the Ravens. What changed? What, how were they able to get that going in the second half, do you think?
0: For me, the, the big thing was in the second half, they were able to really spread out the Ravens' defense. Frequently, they would have these packages with four wide receivers and a, and a tight end going across the middle. So it was an empty backfield. He would have five targets um, five five people to target, which he was which he was not doing in the first half. That was something that was only only put on in the third quarter. It created a lot of mismatches, and it it lessened the effect that Humphreys and Peters, the very physical Baltimore cornerbacks, had because there were then other options for him in the sort of short to intermediate range. And it really seemed to baffle the, the Ravens defense. They just could not handle doing that they were they were so spread out they were unable to do the man coverage that they wanted to do and it completely flipped the game
1: jk dobbins of course rookie coming in to the league played, played very well uh, looking promising really in terms of that tag team with, with gus edwards tell us a bit more about dobbins as a, a college expert what was he like uh, in college and uh, are you surprised about how capable he looked last night
0: No, not, not surprised at all. He's someone, um, with a, he's very efficient and also knack for big plays could grind out hard yards, a good all rounder. I, I felt the Ravens was a great landing spot Mm. for him because the way they, the way they love to run the ball and they will commit to the run and they will create these lanes for the running backs. I wasn't at all surprised. I think he's, I think he's going to have an excellent, excellent season. 113 yards was well-deserved. There were, you know, there were there were some great runs as well that were that were called back for holding as well. It was, mm. um,
1: it's a nice tag team as well with Edwards, right? Because Dobbins uh, just seems to be kind of hitting the edges more, and Gus Edwards, old school uh, in terms of up the gut. So that just seems to be a nice tandem, and you throw Lamar in the mix as well. That that's something that Ra- the Ravens uh, faithful can look at as a very promising outcome from this game. Ronnie Stanley going down, not so much, right? Oh, I mean, brutal, terrible. brutal. Brutal for him, brutal for the team. And of course, it just signed a massive contract as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're in his shoes, then obviously you're very, very pleased that you've got that contract done when you did. Um, That's financially a huge, a huge boost for him, but such a loss, such a loss when they are so reliant on the way that that offensive line protects Jackson and opens up those lanes. Now, Someone listening might be thinking, well, of course, it's obvious, you need a good offensive line, but the, the way that the Ravens play and run the ball, that offensive line has to be almost perfect at times, and they were frequently almost perfect last season, which allowed Lamar Jackson to have that MVP MVP year. Mm. The, the Ravens will still go to the playoffs, but it's now a much harder route to actually winning that division. You know, Not only are they a couple of games behind the unbeaten Steelers, but the Steelers have obviously already now got got a tiebreaker over the Ravens. It's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. The Ravens are unlikely to get a home playoff game, whatever that's gonna feel like, you know, with pretty much empty stadiums. So the sky isn't falling in, but it's it's unlikely, I would say, at this stage they're going to win that division. And because they've lost to such bitter rivals, I'm sure a lot of Ravens fans are feeling really down this morning, but they'll get over it. This is the team will bounce back. They have not become a bad team. They were outcoached, they were outplayed, and still almost won.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. That's definitely the positive. The flip side, I guess, uh, of that is certainly uh, accentuating the positives for the Steelers. Jim Trotter on NFL.com, the headline of his uh, game review, the Steelers beating the Ravens without their A game is a scary proposition for the rest of the NFL. It's a great point, really, that when you see a team like this play abjectly in the first half, and turn it around. And even the second half, clearly significantly better, but uh, as Trotter says, not bringing their elite stuff and getting a win against one of the strongest teams in the AFC, one of the strongest teams in the NFL, they're absolutely legit. And in a season, Ben, when records can be deceptive, uh, are absolutely deceptive in, in, in the case of the Bears. Look at their early season record to what we're, how we're evaluating them now. The Packers, there's question marks about them as well. Seattle shut up a few of the haters. We'll, we'll get into that game in a bit. But going into the 49ers game, there's a lot of talk of, I'm not sure Seattle are legit mm-hmm. with this record. Their defense is terrible. Yada, yada, yada. The Steelers seem to be the most authentic team in terms of their record, their position, and, and the level that they're actually at.
0: Yeah, I I would say the two most complete teams. It feels like to me if you were gonna, if you were gonna pick a Super Bowl right now, Steelers Bucks, exactly. Those are the two teams that are such all round, all round rosters. The way they're putting games together, the Bucks are perhaps better than their record suggests. I think the Steelers mm. deserve to be undefeated. The, those two teams, you know, it's not like a collision course is already set. It's only the first week of November, but if if any team i would say deserves to be 6 and 0 and you know just 7 and 0 8 and 0 i don't know how far the steelers are going to go in terms of kind of avoiding defeat you know they're not going to go unbeaten but right now this is the best team in the nfl i would be frightened to face them they were only okay yesterday and they beat an elite team in fact, the Ravens, I saw the first team since 1950 to outrush their opponents by more than 200 yards and outpass them by any amount and still lose. So what happened last night is simply unheard of. And that's, that's the greatness of this, this Steelers team. And Ben Roethlisberger, he's not physically the player that he was, but mentally he's even better than he was. His brain is quicker than it was. He's got He's got a few more seasons left in him, isn't it? I wasn't sure I was going to be saying that at this point of the year. He has been unreal with yeah, the way that he, the way that he puts that game plan together and grinds out these wins is absolutely stunning.
1: I love watching his evolution, the different type of player that, that he has become. One more on this one and we'll get onto your bears because you talked about this great rivalry, the, the, the Saints uh, with the Ravens and the Steelers and, uh, that was absolutely uh, living up to the billing in terms of the game as it played out. But, of course, also the needle. And we would never advocate fisticuffs on this show, Ben. As, as you know, that's absolutely not oh. the, the position we would adopt. Nevertheless, if there was a game where you want to see that level of passion and that level of uh, altercation, I think it's, it's Raven-Steelers. It always wouldn't be a Raven-Steelers game
0: without it. Oh, no. I mean, if if they could get at each other the way that they would like to, the games would have to be on after the watershed. We would never see them at 6pm because they would not be safe for children to watch. The hatred between these two teams and the aggression that they have towards each other is an absolute thing of beauty. It makes me kind of want to do a chef kiss every time I see it when they're kind of jawing at each other. And let's not forget, you know, when you and I were growing up, Um, watching the NFL in the 1980s. There were no Baltimore Ravens. This isn't a rivalry like the Bears-Packers that goes back to 1921. You know, this is just since the 90s, but they've just hated each other since since then. And it's great to see. I mean, the, the Browns hate the Ravens because the Ravens stole the Browns franchise in the 90s. But the Ravens fans just kind of pity the Browns. It's all about the Steelers for them. Their hatred is wonderful.
1: Got to feel, sorry for Matt Judon, that ejection. That I think that was pretty hard. <laughs> Just another complete, uh, as soon as he's touched an official, he's gone. Uh, they wish they would apply a little bit uh, of common sense and, and nuance to these situations as opposed to having this absolute rule, which is balmy.
0: Yeah, there, were, there was at least one more justified ejection last night, certainly. It, well, yeah, we'll get to that. All right. Uh, well, uh,
1: let's talk uh, Saints-Bears because the Saints made it harder, really, than it should have been, given how how woeful this Bears offense was. I think that's mm. fair to say. I mean, Montgomery picked up something on the ground. Receivers dropping balls left, right, center. falls not of the races at all. But we know this about the Bears. We know the, the offense is poor. We know the defense is strong. And, and very much it was Akeem Hicks, and co. that, that kept... Chicago very much in this game, but despite the injuries, Ben, that the Saints had, or, or the absences, I should say, with Thomas and, and Sarnes, most notably, they, they they seem to be in control of this game for a lot of it and let the Bears back in. And, and how worried should the Saints fans be about that?
0: I think this was an off game for the Saints. Um, I think they should just feel like they're relieved that they got out of there with a win. Um, I, saw, I saw one um, Bears beat writer say last night that both teams tried to lose. And the Bears just tried harder. And that <laughs> that, that to me, that to me sums it up. It was, a, it was a pretty poor performance from both teams. The Saints were able to kind of grind it out against the against a very tough Bears defense who kept putting the offense in positions to make plays, and the offense would uh, the offense is exactly as we've seen it since Foles came in. If anything, Montgomery made made some runs that Everyone was surprised by because the Saints' defense is tough to run against, yeah. and the Bears' rushing offense is, since since Foles took over, has got substantially worse because Foles can't run the ball and Mitch Trubisky could, so he was another weapon there. So when the when the Bears at the at the end of the second half were very close to getting like a two-score lead, which Then instead of getting a touchdown they should have got, they got a field goal. And then they let the Saints um, have enough time to score a touchdown, partly because Matt Nagy Nagy took a timeout, which gave the Saints time because he was thinking that the defense was going to make a stop on like third and and 13, whatever it was. And I'm not blaming Matt Nagy for that. But the Saints just kept grinding the whole time. They were a very, very tough team. They were just like you say they've got those absences but they just seem to kind of rise to the occasion when they needed to and kind of tough it out which is which is perhaps not the saints of old there was not a whole lot of finesse going on this was this was a far more brutal victory if the if the saints if the saints win the super bowl then I don't think anybody in the kind of elites is going to be pointing to that game as a spectacular one. But it could be a very, very crucial one in terms of the way that the team mentally develops because they were put in a tough situation. It was, it was a windy day. They missed the kick in part because of that wind and they were still able to make it count and take advantage of a bad offense and find a way past a very good defense.
1: Yeah, and, and as we expected, uh, this would be the case, Alvin Kamara, a, a significant... Part of this key protagonist, uh, both on the ground and out of the backfield as well, right? So, we knew we we figured they that Peyton would go to him early on, establish that uh, his role in the game. We talked about it on the show last week, didn't we? And that's Mm. absolutely what they did. More of the same from Breeze. If you're looking at the data on how he performed, great completion rate was up to around 75 percent there, but average depth 5.4 yards, 75 percent of his throws were caught short of the sticks PFF outline. So we know, we, we're certain what we've got now, right? There are you know, times when Brady's deep ball has been criticized. Roethlisberger's actually, and, and he demonstrated he could still air it out on a few occasions yesterday. Even Rivers, and we'll talk more about that, another good performance from him. Out of this aging veteran crew, there are clearly... Uh, the elements have declined from where they were 6, seven, ten years ago. Brees seems to be the most acute. Right? But we, we knew this, and I guess this was a blueprint, a prototype, as you rightly say, up against one of the better defenses in the NFL, minus a couple of their key pieces, for this offense still to get the job done. There's still enough about it with the game planning of Peyton, the smarts of Brees, and, and still the, a lot of technical ability there, even if he doesn't have the deep ball, and a player like Kamara in the mix that they can get it done.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kamar was a playmaker and and Breeze was just making intelligent decisions almost the whole game. When he wasn't right. going deep, it's because that wasn't there and the underneath was and had faith in the players to get yards after the catch even if he was going short of the sticks. He played really well. Got to give a lot of credit to the Saints offensive line who were able to, you know, keep Breeze, Breeze clean because the you know, the Bears defense obviously was good and the D-line was pretty good, but He's so savvy, and his his all it, everyone is on the same page with that Saints offense. You know, they, mm. it was it was as a Bears fan, it was it wasn't fun to watch that. But I love Drew Brees, and I love the way he operates. And it was a very intelligent, assured performance mm. from him. It hasn't got to be the showy stuff. He's got mm. to win games. I don't think he's worried about kind of what people are saying about his his deep ball. Mm. He's worried about the Saints record, and the Saints record is good very well
1: said uh, let 's get on to the the the, <laughs> the elephant in the room mm-hmm. So Javon Wims um, ejected from the game for just throwing a roundhouse right out of nowhere sucker punch really uh, on shortly shortly Gar- uh, Johnson uh, who was the player of course that was involved in the altercation with Michael Thomason in, in training right so what any backstory on this what the hell was going on there
0: yeah um basically there is there is backstory um Johnson has history with the Bears. Um, When they played last season, he annoyed quite a lot of the Bears players nonstop talking. I mean, he's known as a trash talker. Now, in college, when he was at Florida, this was his reputation, a trash talker who would get players ejected. Mm -hmm. He would provoke them, and he would get them to cross a line I mean, there was a big game against Florida State, and he got he, he he said that the strategy against Florida State was to just provoke them because he said they were the most undisciplined team in America, and we're going to take advantage of every little opportunity.
1: Now, where do you stand on that? Do you think that's fair game? I mean, if you know, trash talking has always been a part of, of football or certainly for a, an incredibly long time. It's no surprise that corners and receivers are going at it. They do uh, throughout most of the game a lot of the time. We see it all the time. Is it? Uh, where are you on that strategy of deliberately antagonising an opponent to get? Well, them out?
0: let me put it this way, right? I'm a Chicago Bears fan. Mm. My favourite college team is Florida State. <laughs> I have no time for CJ Johnson. However, however, what he's doing is smart football. If you can get under hey. your opponent's skin, force them into mental errors, then do it. Mm. Absolutely, do it now. Not only had he annoyed a lot of Bears players last season, he also pushed his fingers through Anthony Miller's face mask to get to his face earlier in the game. Mm. And Wims hasn't hasn't confirmed that's what did it. But this was clearly premeditated. It was definitely because definite, it, on the play itself, nothing happened, right? Kind of no, walk... he walked up behind him to approach him. Snatched a chain or something, hit him in the face, which yeah. is pointless. or well, hit him in the side of the helmet, pointless. Did it again, <laughs> still pointless. Now, obviously, J- Johnson's got form for this. Yeah. This is his MO. He will wind players up. Even his own teammates try to punch him. <laughs> you know, Michael Thomas is suspended because he doesn't like Johnson and punched him in, in practice. So the idea that Wims, who funnily enough, has also got a reputation. because in- you surprised me. In training camp season before last, he started punching Prince Namukamara, who had a helmet on. So you've got He doesn't even learn. No, you've got the you've got the league's top helmet puncher and the team's top and the league's top provoker. You put them together, the provoker is gonna get punched in the helmet by whims. It was it, it in hindsight, <laughs> it's the most obvious thing in the world. Now, I'm it not. It happened, gonna,
1: of course. I wonder yeah. if there was some Vegas book that was offering money on, oh.
0: on that. It's interesting that the, uh,
1: this side, because it was a sucker punch, right? So, why. Absolutely. You're not going to wait for a player to take the helm off You're obviously not going to ask him to take the helm off, because <laughs> that would kind of give up the game. So, yeah. you kind of figure that that's probably why Wibbs is going for the helmet punch. My favorite point uh, of all of this all of it was Troy, Troy Aikman's line. And fair play, in Troy Aikman's defense, uh, we were all watching it. What the hell just <laughs> happened? Did that just happen? And, and watching it again and again. So watching the Fox crew, watching the replays, Bucket Aikman, and then Aikman comes out with the immortal line as they were watching another, like the 50th replay of it.
0: That's just not smart football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the insight that you can only get from a three-time Super Bowl champion. It's on not smart Fox football. for "quote unquote" America's Game of the Week. Now, I, That's I have to not s- smart football. I mean, I love Aikman. Like the thing is, is that obviously I'm I'm not going to defend. Um, I'm not going to defend whims over this. Obviously, it was actually not perhaps a turning point in the game, but it, it, it obviously was a big penalty on the Bears, who then had to go deep on third down through an interception, and the Saints ended up scoring mm. on the next possession. Right. He is someone who clearly, if, if his manhood is challenged, if he feels that one of his teammates is being punked by someone he does not respect, he is going to go after him. Now I went to the sort of school where this is exactly what people would do. You know, I would say half my friends will have sucker punched someone because of the fact they tried to, they tried to jump some friends of mine from school. And these things happen. When you've got people who are full of testosterone, they will start making bad decisions. So I get it. I get it. But like the fact that Wims, after he'd done it, he went off celebrating. He was thrilled with what he'd done. That (laughs) is what blew my mind more than anything. Somebody being really angry about something and deciding I'm going to get my revenge, getting the revenge, but then being like, I showed them.
1: What? Odds what? of uh, Wims being in the WWE within 12 months.
0: Well, a, he's got a better chance of that than being on the Bears by the end of the season, I would say. And and that's a shame because I do like the guy, but he's. Do you know what? I would say it's just not smart football, man. I, that's <laughs> that's, that's not, the only that's way I can sum day. it up.
1: A great hot take. Let's talk Seahawks, uh, who uh, blew the 49ers away. And as we're talking about at the top of the show. Wasn't a given, right? The line was three. A lot of people were saying, oh, this could be a 49ers win. I was hearing arguments being put very much for that. It wasn't even close. Of course, Jimmy G uh, going out of the game injured, some might say that maybe improved the (laughs) the 49ers chances. But look, you lose your starting quarterback, it always inevitably is going to have some uh, bearing, or we've got to add some uh, inflection to our our assessment of of the result. But it was uh, a comprehensive performance once again from the Seahawks offense. And if it isn't Tyler Lockett, then it's DK Metcalf, right? Metcalf, because visually he looks just significantly more powerful than, than anyone else around him seemingly. <laughs> so that really, really highlights and underpins his explosive nature. But he was brilliant once again, Metcalf, and he's fast becoming, I think, the most dangerous, terrifying, depending on which uh, side of the line you're on, receiver in the NFL right now.
0: Yeah, I I love watching him. He's got this fantastic catch radius where it just seems that even though even though it's far away from him, he can pull them in. And we we talk a lot about contested catches. You do not want to contest the catch with this guy because he will he will be able to kind of like bully the secondary and get the ball. Yeah, I'm just trying he to think of the kind of it's a great point.
1: The kind of player historically he reminds you of. Him. There's there's elements of Megatron around him in the yep. sense that you could throw it up and here. But it's more than that. I mean, he's physically. I mean, Megatron was was. Obviously, a you know a powerful figure, but he's just he's just more rounded and built, isn't he? He's like a, it's like it's like it's it's like a, a almost like a fast defensive end playing receiver. It's just,
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought I thought you were going to go with kind of like a, a just a super speedy tight end who as just kind of he's one of those sort of tweeners, but no, he is a bit like a defensive end, and you don't want a defensive end who can catch the ball. That is that is nightmare fuel. Is and, and the
1: the Hawks are looking so dangerous with the aerial attack that uh, as Oli, our producer was uh, talking about in, uh, I've got to mention the running order, right? Cause Oli gets very cross when we do that for the running order, which uh, I think I have quite a few times already. The today. running
0: order is a suggestion.
1: It is. Uh, but he made a great point there that, you know, pick your poison, right? If you, if you take out one of them, the other one is going to, going to, well, Let's, uh, let's celebrate Javon Williams. The other one's going to sucker punch you. But I mean, that's what, that's what happened here. They, they kept Lockett who went off last week, of course, in 200 plus yards. They kept him relatively quiet. And Metcalf was the one that did the damage. this is, if I bring this around to the Browns a little bit, just that whole Odell Beckham situation, because this is something that came up in conversation on a radio show last night. And of course, in my, my times article last week, and mm-hmm. you'd, you'd have read, right. You read that? Yeah, of course. Of course he did. And, um, People saying, well, are oh, the Browns better without, without um, Oda Beckham on the field? And all these stats get wheeled out. And yeah, you can't deny the validity of the stats to some degree. But what they don't apply is individuality of situations. So that the, if Beckham is connecting 14% less with Mayfield than the rest of his receivers, but what are those catches? How explosive are they? How game-changing are they? And most importantly, or as importantly... What does that defense have to think about when he's on the field? Right? And this is what the Seahawks have when they have and any team with a really powerful receiving talent. And the Steelers going back to them in a different way and different styles of receiver. But you've got to be looking at so carefully at both of them. They are both essentially number one receivers.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is that you, if you're coming up against the Seahawks, you know how to beat them. You just gotta, you've just got to shut those two down easy right that's yeah, all you got to do that's all you want to do but the, the thing is it's like trying to bring a knife to a gunfight when you face seattle because how on earth are you going to do that there will be times where things just don't click or that the, uh, the the defense is just too leaky but a lot of the times they are going to be like they were last night now they they kept letting the, the, the 49ers back in the game and the 49ers are not a particularly good team and i'm not the biggest fan of Jimmy Garoppolo but like you say when you lose your starter even if your starter may not be your starter next season the fact is the guy who's coming in has not been having first team reps he is not as schooled on what should be done as the starter and even with the even with a second stringer in, the 49ers were able to make gains against the Seahawks defense. So you do have to really put up points against the Seahawks because you know they're going to do the same to you. This 49ers team, I don't know what to make of them. I said last week they may be the best coached team in the NFL because they've got so many players out, and yet they still are competitive. But if the Seahawks play like that, they, there's not many teams that can hang with them, right?
1: I don't think there are. I and mean, we've got look, we've got a, when we're talking about this performance, because you can only beat who's in front of you, right? That's, that's my Aikman hot take of the day. <laughs> but the 49ers clearly have been banged up all season long and you look at the ground game and, there's, and people say, well, they only averaged 2.4 yards a carry against this Steelers D, and uh, which incidentally is obviously better against the run than it is against the pass, right? But nevertheless, they were that Mostert, they were that Coleman. What are you expecting? Garoppolo might be indifferent, but he went out. You got Nick Mullins coming in. I'm not buying that that's any kind of remote upgrade, uh, irrespective of, of anything else. i tell you what I really, really rate it is Brandon Ayuk. I really, really mm-hmm. like him. Another, another big game again. But ju- I just have a feeling that out of that brilliant receiving core that came into the draft this year, he is going to be one of the ones that goes the furthest. On that, on drafts and receivers, why was DK Metcalf... Why did he fall so much? Was it, was it just, did, did, did people whiff on him or was there off the field issues or what was the book on, on Metcalf?
0: Well, no, I, I mean, you know, he fell for the second round. A lot, of, a lot of great receivers end up being drafted in the second round because there are, in, in recent seasons, there have been a lot of good wide receivers. So they are not so much at a premium that you'd have to take them in, in the first round. It's worth bearing in mind that in college, I think he made less than 70 catches in his entire college career and had about 1,200 yards. So he certainly had the highlights, but it's not like this is someone who'd been putting up absolutely amazing numbers. You could see the tape, on, tape of him at Old Miss, and you, you can see the talent there, mm. but he wasn't, like, he wasn't like a Jerry Judy, where it was like video game numbers for multiple years, where you feel like we've seen so much of this guy. We've seen so many catches. Mm. He seems unreal. Metcalf was someone who looked like a very, very promising wide receiver who could be, um, a very good starter in the NFL. He's, he's already better than a very good starter in the NFL. But I wouldn't say teams whiffed on him. I think based on what he'd done in college, I think a second round pick was fair. And the Seahawks got a bargain because he's even better than that.
1: Okay, just one other point on this. And Just kind of reflecting on the Mullins-Garoppolo thing for a minute. Maybe I've, I've done Mullins a bit of a disservice because... They were demonstrably better when he w- was playing, but it just doesn't seem to be, to me, an, an automatic upgrade. But maybe maybe I'm missing the point here. I mean, do you think there is a, a, a quarterback controversy going on here? I mean, Grubb is injured, so that uh, is affecting his output and a big investment in him. But I wonder, you know, what are how many more uh, times they can, this season in particular, if they want to contend for a wild card, how many more times they can they suffer a performance like that?
0: Yeah, I I think... The only way that Mullins is an upgrade over Garoppolo is when you consider the fact that Garoppolo isn't healthy. And although, I'm repeating myself, I'm not his biggest fan, when he's healthy, he can be very effective. When he's not healthy, he he can't do those things that have made him effective, making those good decisions, making those quick passes. And he's just an unreliable guy at the moment. But I don't see there being a controversy this season. I I don't know which way they're going to go towards the end of the season, because they are still in playoff contention because of the way that things will go. And there was an extra playoff mm-hmm. place in the NFC and the AFC both. They can still make the playoffs, but they can get rid of Jimmy G at the end of this season without it costing them a fortune. They'll have a decision mm-hmm. to make at the end of the year. And if you were the 49ers right now, putting you on the spot, would you keep him? Because I wouldn't. I would, I, w- I would be looking for another option.
1: I 100% would, you know, but I'm not I'm not going to uh, bore our listeners with another Jimmy G uh, apologist rant. Suffice to say, I think he is an underrated quarterback. He's clearly injured. The team is banged up. Look at the ground game he had. It's not, you're oh, yeah, not but- getting a, a realistic reflection of him. And I think it's the same mistake that so many GMs make, which is, careful what you wish for, careful what you wish for. And that brings us nicely to the Dolphins and their Mm -hmm. win against the Rams, one of the big upsets of the weekend. And of course, the big story going into it was Tua's first start, but it wasn't uh, the most auspicious of performances from Tua, but he didn't need it to be because his defense and special teams swung the game pretty comprehensively in the end, Ben, for the Dolphins, given its... A first start in the NFL against Aaron Donald and Cohen, and we suspected that would be very much welcome to the NFL. And Donald stripsacked him, which of course led to the the Rams' first score, and that was a pretty brutal introduction to to the big leagues. We knew it was going to be tough against this front seven. Jalen Ramsey in in the back uh, in the secondary going out injured or ill early on made his life a little bit easy. but nevertheless, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, the explosive, exciting performance that I think some people were hoping for. What did him do you make of two his debut?
0: Yeah, I I thought because I'm like like most people and like you, I'm I'm big on Tua. I think he's going to have a good NFL career, and I think the Dolphins did a great thing picking him. But I expected there to be it be a bit more boom and bust in the first game. I thought you would either go off and just be torching the Rams in some plays, even if the Dolphins lost. I thought he would make some amazing highlight plays. Or it would just be too much for him at that point. Because don't forget, he's not played a lot of football because of the injury last right. season. And it was more of the bust. But the, the team seemed to really rally around him. The, the, team clearly, mm. the team clearly supports him. They know he's the future. He knows he's the future, which, is, which gives you a lot of confidence. You know that if they'd lost that game, nobody's like, oh, maybe they did the wrong thing with that pick. He's going to be the future. He looked very, very average yesterday. They didn't really open up the playbook for him. It was, it was all a little bit kind of vanilla, I think. The Rams were very disappointing. Tua did not win this game for them. You know, they won despite Tua. There'll be plenty of games in the future where he's going to win games for them but he wasn't great yesterday and I'm not going to get down with him about that. I tell you he was great though. Hmm. His brother on Friday night, he made his first college starts and was absolutely sensational. So that's another tongue of I love. eye. He but um, he's playing at Maryland. So not, not as big a program, but he had a fantastic comeback. Was uh, it a shootout was comeback win? Oh yeah, re- it really was. I, I was staying up with the puppy and <laughs> I put the, I put the game on at halftime. Minnesota were well ahead. And I thought, well, I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to watch this. And, he engineered a comeback that was fantastic. He's not—he's not as good as Tua, um, although he is certainly an NFL prospect who we will will see in a few seasons. It was great to see Tua start a game, though. It's been—it's yeah. been so long, um, but the fact that Jalen Ramsey wasn't around was a real blessing for him.
1: Made life easier, and conversely, it, Brian Flores really got in in Jared Goff's head, uh, of course, much as uh, uh, he was able to. Uh, the, uh, the Super Bowl a few years back, right? It was taking a leaf out of that playbook, confusing him, mixing up coverages. This is clearly one of the ways you can you can get to Goff, and I don't want to go down that old line of oh McVeigh's in his head all the time because I think Goff's a better player than that, and it's a little bit patronizing to Goff to say that he is an Autobot that is being. Uh, uh, Autobot? Is he an Autobot or is he a Decepticon? I don't know. There's a whole other show. But, you know, this kind of Automatron, can't think for himself type player, which which I think is, is unreasonable. Nevertheless, he does seem to be one of those players. We talk about Breeze's smarts, right? And again, maybe not a fair comparison, Ben, when you look at a future Hall of Famer he has been playing for 15 years, longer than Goff, but that's what we mean when we talk about that, right? He can see things, read things, that the ability that you have as, as, a, as a thinker uh, when you're a vet that's achieved as much. Rivers, too, you can see what is going on. I know Rivers is prone to erratic mistakes, but generally speaking, that's a huge advantage, which Goff just doesn't have yet because he doesn't have the benefit of experience, but also just doesn't seem to instinctively be very good at that. You can get inside his head and confuse him, and that's very much what the Finns did.
0: Yeah, I mean, bear in mind, because I I feel that Goff isn't quite as smart a player as he needs to be to make up for some of his physical shortcomings, but he was a hell of a lot better against the Bears' defense last week, and that is a better defense than the one in Miami. Mm. The the Rams are a bit too inconsistent. Goff's a bit too inconsistent. Maybe it was a trap game. Maybe they kind of just took their eye off the ball because they had a convincing win last week, and now this happens. I mean, I saw lots of um, Rams fans I know on Twitter who were just going after Goff and the coaching staff the entire game. There is there is plenty of ill feeling towards Goff from from Rams fans, and I see why. But I think you've got you've got to ride it out. It's it's not. He's by no means a bad quarterback. He's very very much above average. But he has got these flaws, and I don't think we've seen any evidence that those flaws are going away. I think those that's mm. him. What we're seeing from Goff is what you're yeah. gonna get forever.
1: That's a really, really fair point. That's a really fair point. The positives for the Rams, a couple of rookies to talk about. Van Jefferson had a few grabs. Cam Akers as well looked alright, didn't he? So there is uh, you know, they're certainly not done, the Rams, but they are baffling aren't they just seem <sighs> to lurch from one week to the next you think yeah they can turn this. Oh, maybe they're not yeah no I think I'm uh, not
0: so sure and if there's a division that you can't afford to be inconsistent in I think right. th- this is the one you just you can't do it you've got to you've got to be on your game Far more than the Rams are because you know, the, the Cardinals are going to take wins off teams. The 49ers are going to take wins off teams. Even if the Cardinals and 49 don't make the playoffs, they could ruin things for a team such as the Rams. Less so the Seahawks, I would say. But it could be that those division games are what stops the Rams from making the playoffs potentially if they can't iron out these inconsistencies.
1: So that was Tour's debut. Uh, incidentally, the box score for Tour, just to emphasize the point 12 uh, for 22, 93 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Justin Herbert drafted exactly one place after Tour in the 2020 draft, but has seen much more action, of course, for that bizarre chain of events with the Chargers uh, knocking Tyron Taylor out. And Herbert has grabbed that opportunity and, and hasn't looked back. But deeply disappointing defeat for him and for the Chargers. They were 24-3 up against the Broncos and absolutely cruising. And the, the Broncos, I was watching uh, as Red Zone was sort of flipping backwards and forwards. And I was, you know, like I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you have one game on and then you have Red Zone on, social media kind of buzzing around. And I was just keying in for a while on that game in particular, right, with with Red Zone Uh, flying around and just thinking my god how bad Denver offense looked when going into the season I'd spoken to a few different Denver beat writers who were really big on lock loved the Judy uh, drafted course and were very very positive about what this team would be able to do offensively and it looked astonishingly bad and then It it completely turned around. It's fourth quarter, Ben. 14 of 18, 155 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Quarterback rating was 142.1. Outside of the fact they masterminded or he masterminded the win, which the, the Broncos absolutely needed to have any chance of keeping this season alive. But I always look at a player who is on the ropes and comes back with a performance like that. Even if they'd lost, it's almost immaterial to me. That showed me a lot about Drew Locke. I think he is... He is a credible player. Why aren't we seeing him do this more? Why aren't we seeing the Broncos do this more?
0: Um, I, think, I think there's a lack of talent on that Denver roster, which makes things difficult for Drew Locke. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not that high on Drew Locke. Um, my opinion of him certainly went up last night. I think you're absolutely spot on. Let's say they didn't pull out that win. Let's say the, the, the touchdown pass time expired, fell incomplete. You'd still have to look back at that final quarter, look at Drew Locke and say... You know, he really showed us something there in a very difficult situation. He took the team on his shoulders when not a lot of people have got faith in him, and he and he did it. I think his teammates have got faith in him, and that that counts for a right. hell of a lot in the in the locker room. I still don't know what we've got with Drew Locke. I really don't. And as far as the charges are concerned, again, I like you. I was you know all over social media while keeping track of all these games, and when the when the charges were we're winning the two themes I was getting from chargers fans that I, that I know, were I can't believe we're running the ball and B, how are we going to lose this? Mm -hmm. And that was a common theme. Like, well, Denver don't look good. You know, they haven't looked good all season, but what, in what way will we lose this? And I don't think anyone, (laughs) anyone guessed, Oh, it's just going to be Drew Locke just going absolutely ham Mm -hmm. and just, balling out in the, in, the, in the final quarter. You know, you'd have got good odds on that being part of the capitulation.
1: Which you've got good odds on the Bengals blowing it against the Titans as they oh. seem to have done the entire time under uh, under the Zach Taylor and the new regime. But they held on, Burrow held on, another big performance from Burrow. And we're talking about composure and what we expect from rookie quarterbacks, which is uh, oh. ideally output but you're ready for mistakes and if you flip it back to the chargers game herbert had that right he was balling and making things happen but he was also risky with the ball at times right burrow seems to out of uh, out of the the rookie quarterbacks certainly that look at looking at those two just seems to be uh, a two we haven't really got enough of a sample size but burrow seems to be removing comparisons on a fast track to be a, a, a stable presence, irrespective of his productivity, he just has that assured. To use your borrow your word from earlier, Ben, that assuredness and that that calmness, togetherness that you don't always see it in a rookie season with quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, he that that's spot on. This is this is what's been the most impressive part of him. The the how self assured he is. Mm. He doesn't seem to get kind of mentally knocked back from the things that are happening he's got the good sense to know that you know last season at lsu he was he was anointed the starting quarterback of a team that was absolutely loaded in every position Mm. and he knew that he was going to get picked number one overall and he was going to go to a team that had a lot of holes and he doesn't seem to be bothered by that it's not getting him down he's you know we We joked about his nickname, Joey Covers. Joey Covers. He's keeping these games close. And with this one, I did think he was going to... Well, not he was going to throw it away. I thought the Bengals would throw it away, but cover. But he, he didn't. And the thing that impressed me the most about the Bengals was he only had a makeshift offensive line in front of him. They've really kind of beaten up and things being moved around on that line. And still he was able to find time, make those passes, the high percentage passes, do the intelligent thing, keep the ball moving. And that is is not a game I expect to see the Titans lose. Mm. Just psychologically a huge win for the Bengals. They'll know that they can't just hang with teams now. They can beat good teams. And they'll continue to be a tough out from here until the end of the season. You know, they're not going to hit 500. But they're going to be a problem for plenty of teams. The
1: Titans all scratched their heads on this one. Henry had a, a pretty decent game on the ground. And if you you know look statistically, at, take out the kind of rudimentary numbers of uh, overall yardage and look at it in a bit more detail. is always good good for that. They rank that as the most successful ground game of the season. But of course, they couldn't get it done in the air. And this is the fundamental problem that when everything's chiming for them, they look... Uh, offensively, really, really uh, formidable. But when Tannehill is as inconsistent as he was against the Bengals, they can't seem to rely on uh, Henry to get it done each each and every time. So, uh, interesting, I think uh, we expect him to be able to run on on Cincinnati given their run D is pretty uh, fragile, but we uh, perhaps uh, rather surprised that Tannehill looked uh, so erratic. Speaking of which, what was going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, because that—I mean—talk about upsets this weekend, Ben. There was another one there. The Packers were heavy favorites, seven-point favorites, I think, for, for that game, and nobody really figured that the Vikings were going to uh, keep it close. But it wasn't even close.
0: Minnesota ran away with it. Yeah, I, the the Vikings. We knew they They were better and more talented than their record suggested, but this seemed like an awful matchup on paper mm. for them against the Packers. This did not seem like a potential upset because of the way the two teams matched up, not just because the Packers are better, but because it's Aaron Rodgers against one of the weakest secondaries in the NFL. Right. You would never have thought that if you did not know the records of those two teams, you, there's no way you would think that the Packers were about four games ahead of the Vikings. The Vikings are going to be spoilers for a few teams. They're not going to make the playoffs, not this season with someone like Dalvin Cook, when he is, when, he, when he's given the room and he's on form, he is an absolute delight to watch. They couldn't stop him. Aaron Rodgers was very average. Mm. He didn't seem particularly happy. You know, what a surprise. And they've got to, they've got to fix these things. I mean, I, I still think they would win the division. Um, you know, it seems to be a straight battle between them and the Bears, and clearly – Even if they had equal level of talent, having Aaron Rodgers is going to give them the advantage. But they just do not. The fact that they have not been giving Aaron Rodgers the weapons that he needs, there will be these games where it will cause a problem for them. It's a great problem in the playoffs. Uh,
1: So Devontae Adams had seven catches for 53, right? Uh, And of course, three scores. No other Packers receiver had multiple catches on the day. The rest That's of the scandalous. Packers receivers combined for three catches for sixty-one yards. So, I mean, if, if you want to, if Aaron Rodgers wants to justify his frustration, his anger at what went down in the draft, just needs to yeah. just email that stat to uh, to the powers that be. Are they going to make a move? Do you think before the deadline and strengthen his hand?
0: I mean, be very unpackers pack- like to do that, right? Exactly. It'd be very unpackers like, and it would almost be admitting defeat that, yeah, we got it wrong in the draft, mm. which they would be loath to do. Mm. And I think, although there was obviously been plenty of friction between Rogers and the, the coaching team, pretty much through his entire time in green Bay, um, because of just the, the Rogers personality. It's, I think it's going to have to wait until the next draft for them to, to fix that situation and they're expecting Rodgers to be able to just pull it out and perform miracles because of how talented he is and it's only going to work so far as we've seen in the playoffs Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback of his generation I don't care what anybody says and if if he only makes it to one Super Bowl that something is wrong with the organization when that happens
1: Mm.
0: are the Pats done now for the season is Cam done for the season after that defeat (sighs) That was, I mean, I, I really thought they were going to come back and win that. And I, mm. I thought that the narrative is going to be, you know, are the, are the Patriots going to start sneaking in now? Mm. You know, is Cam Newton going to start firing on all cylinders? I was very high on the Cam Newton pickup. I mean, they got great value. Even if, it, if he flops, it's not like they invested a load of money in him. But it has not been working. And that was a, that was a bad fumble. But give Cam credit, he came out, he took the defeat on his shoulders, he said it was his fault, he's, a lot Did of people Watch don't... the
1: presser after that he gave, Yeah, because he got, again, in some quarters, criticized for that, because he looked a bit petulant and getting frustrated with the questions, but I, I'm with Cam on this. You, you, I understand and, and appreciate that you can't be out and out rude, and it's part of the gig, and... Look, we're, we're talking as journalists that it's frustrating when you are faced with an interview subject that is giving you next to nothing and is clearly doesn't want to be there. Like, but, I, but I sympathize with him. Like some of the lines of questioning were you know, were frankly ridiculous. Like, What are you expecting him to say? And yet he gets knocked for being throwaway away with his answers or clipped with his answers. Uh, it, it does. It does annoy me and frustrate me that certain players just get picked out for behaving badly uh, in in that context. But it's kind of justifiable. And you think about some of the other behaviour that is out there. That it's is exactly. Maybe-
0: some people get a pass. Some people don't. Cam Newton will never get a pass, and some people will. Mm. And it's it's a, it's a it's a bad it's a bad look. Mm. Um, there are certain there are certain things that you can infer from the sort of players who do get judged and those who don't get judged, which which I don't like. And on a separate point, I think the level of questions in post-game press conferences has gone downhill since they've all become remote. Mm. And I don't know if that's just in my head, but when I'm watching them, it feels like the questions are are not as good. There's a lot, there's a lot more questions that I think, what what are you expecting here? Yeah. I don't know if there's kind of a level of respect that when you are face to face with that person, you don't necessarily say, but when it's it's on a it's on a video chat you do. I don't know if that's what plays into it. But it's an
1: interesting interesting take, Ben, yeah. I think I think you're absolutely onto something there that I'm sure the difference in medium impacts in the same way that plenty of you know anonymous keyboard warriors have no issue laying in with all kinds of horrible stuff online you know they wouldn't even dream of saying that somebody's face one of this kind of variation of that Bear we said the best uh, till last we talked about a lot of terrific games in week eight but quite clearly game of the weekend was sunday night football
0: i mean that's the that's the prime slot right you know that's if you want smart football then it's all about the 2020 Eagles and Cowboys, definitely. What are, they, are the cow? I mean, because the Cowboys obviously
1: offset a couple of players as well. Recently, I mean, they're just they're, they've completely thrown in the towel, right?
0: Ah, oh, it feels that way. I mean, you know, they're not going to win many games with uh, Gucci Danucci, whereas <laughs> they they could win some with Andy Dalton. the uh, The Cowboys right. are very much a team that is kind of just checked out for the year. They're like, yeah, 2020. It's not been good for anybody. Um, we'll see you next season. But, I mean, the, to me, the Eagles are the biggest story. The Eagles won this game almost by default. But, you know, at some point, a decision has got to be made about Carson Wentz mm. because is he really the future? I, I, this morning, when I was looking back at this Eagles-Cowboys game, um, knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I thought, I'm sure there was a Monday in november last year where i came on this podcast and it was about carson wentz what what is the deal with him and mm. what can he get any better and i think the answer right now is no this is carson wentz for better or worse they've they've hitched their wagon to him whether whether that was a bad decision or not, we're going to find out. But this is what we're going to get from Carson Wentz. He is going to be inconsistent. He is going to have bad games. He is going to have to get bailed out. His stat line was terrible. He's, he's throwing interceptions all over the place. It's a The Eagles have got lots of holes. It's not like this is a good team being held back by a lack of quarterback. But he is not a quarterback that can just win games by himself. Mm. I I'm, I'm worried about Carson Wentz's future, personally.
1: It, how much do we have to give him a bit of a pass? Because not dissimilar to the 49ers, Philly have been absolutely banged up for quite, uh, not just this season, right? But last season, of course, in particular, very, very difficult to achieve the levels that we're expecting, which is when he, you know, before his injury, when he was on MVP, in MVP conversations, and it was oh okay, here's a top six, top eight quarterback. And, He's nowhere near that mark now, but you've got to put a lot of that down to both the coaching changes, right? The personnel changes, which I think have been significant and maybe underplayed a little bit. But definitely the the injuries and the uh, indifferent performances from his supporting cast.
0: Uh, Absolutely. The season that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they were such a well-balanced unit. It wasn't Mm. necessarily superstars in every position, but they were just so solid from top to bottom. But what happened when Carson Wentz got injured? Nick Foles came in, won every game, won the Super Bowl, won Super Bowl MVP. And Nick Foles is not as good a quarterback as Carson Wentz, that they were able to just put Foles in and everything kept moving. Mm -hmm. How much credit we can give Wentz for what he did earlier in that season, I don't know, because even Foles came in and they didn't miss a beat. I, I don't think he is ever going to be anywhere near that again. I think that... Purple patch was a bit of a flash in the pan. I think he was I felt he was overrated coming out of college and that's partly because of the fact he played at North Dakota State and he did not face proper college teams on a regular basis, unlike someone like a Tua Ialoa, And although he had he was a real physical specimen, I just felt that he was he didn't have the smarts to do the things to to justify that position in the draft, just like Jared Goff in a way. Mm. And I mean, they're kind of stuck with him for the time being, but yeah, it's not going to get any better anytime soon for the Eagles and they might make the playoffs.
1: Uh, Maybe they can just do a direct swap with Goff. I mean, there's a TV show right there. So two teams that are struggling, just uh, (laughs) some kind of quarterback swap or that's a jeopardy card. You can play halfway through the season.
0: I'd love to see Carson Wentz who is, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way. He was like a proper hick. Carson Wentz in LA. I think that would be hilarious. I'd love to see that.
1: That is a that's
0: A, show. we, a few
1: shows we've developed today. Up with the Puppy. Uh, <laughs> since Barry that's, that's a YouTube show I would watch. You watching the Nooch live on YouTube with the pup. It, that's an interesting idea, though. The, it's kind of a Jeopardy thing. A bit like the WWE Draft, where you just start mo- <laughs> insisting on players moving from one team to another. Just very quickly, we'll wrap, Ben, on the Cowboys. Because... Look, with, with, with all due respect to the noosh, nobody was expecting fireworks from the offense uh, last night. But Amari Cooper, absence again, uh, to all intents and purposes. I mean, he, he technically suited up and played in the game, not that you would have known it. Zeke Elliott has now gone on a terrible run. So he's gone eight games without hitting 100 yards, uh, averaging less than four a carry. Is that to complete or conclude the, the same point we've made for a few players in the defense on this week's show. Is that because this line is terrible? Normally, of course, one of the strongest units of the NFL, but it's banged up and awful. He hasn't got Dak around him. The defense is all, uh, terrible, so they're letting uh, uh, games run away from them early on, so he's not getting as many looks as he should. What is going on? Why can't Zeke step up to the levels he normally, we're normally used to?
0: I think it is mostly the lack of supporting cast. But also, like a lot of the players on that Cowboys team, they look beaten. Mm. They step on the field and they just don't look like they want to be there. That this has become such a dumpster fire mm. that when Dak, when Dak Prescott went down, I don't think they realized quite how important he was. We knew, him, we, we knew the sort of player that he was, but it seemed that they lacked leadership and that Zeke does not seem like he's the sort of person who's going to... Fill that role, which is disappointing. I'm a huge fan of Zeke Elliott. You know, I always say it's it's him and Saquon Barkley. They are the two running backs in the NFL. that the they are the they are the greats. They are the ones who could reach the Hall of Fame. And I love watching them. And Barkley's not playing, and Zeke Elliott may as well not be. I it's such an ugly performance. Like I, I. You talk about up with the puppy. I'm so glad that the puppy was asleep for that game because he was awake when I was watching the Bears Saints game, and when that went to overtime, he vomited, and I was I was close to doing the same. And if if he would have been if he'd have been watching this game, I don't know what sort of mess we'd have been cleaning up. And <laughs> I, you know, my my wife is my wife's blaming me because I. I gave the pup it's so, you know, squirty whipped cream. Yeah. Imagine that, but it's oh, chicken liver. puppy. So I gave him some of this. You, so you, you, you squirt this foul stuff inside like a kind of like, it's this weird kind of like bouncy rubbery chew toy. And they apparently go crazy for it. He wasn't that keen, but he had enough of it. And clearly from when I saw it come out of him, that's what it was. <laughs> but I, I, I think it was due to some bad football that was played this week that I, I can't take the whole blame for giving him the, the, the squirty chicken liver. And I just, I need that on record for the world to know history will not judge me for this one. They will judge the bears offense and they should just be very pleased that I did not let him watch the Cowboys because I think that have the RSPCA at my door.
1: They're duly noted. And I love this idea of going forwards. We get the squirty chicken liver out, get the pup out. Uh, mix them together, and then, just, <laughs> and, and time will tell us to what the uh, performance is like uh, that, that he's watching. So in other words, if it stays in the tum, yeah, fine. Okay, we're going to go another week. If yeah. it doesn't, we're going to have a quarterback change.
0: Yeah, I mean, I might, I might start talking to him about the spread in each game, <laughs> nice. squirt the stuff in his mouth, see what the reaction is. Be like, oh, okay, the Bengals are going to cover. Okay, mm-hmm. make a note. Joey
1: Covers. Uh, great stuff, Ben. Uh, tw- at Tweets from ben is where you can uh, catch Mr. Isaacs on Twitter, not just for NFL stylings, but college as well. He is our resident college expert, of course, and we've got some good college content coming your way soon. Looking forward to doing that with you, bud. Looking you. forward to having you back on the show. Thanks for doubling down. We'll catch up with you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye. Great stuff for Ben as ever. Looking forward to this chicken liver prediction mechanic. We're definitely going to investigate that a little bit more. <laughs> chicken liver covers. Uh, that's something we'll roll on. Uh, speaking of which, we're rolling back Friday with our week nine preview. Week nine. My God, we're almost in double digits. We're doubling down. Iron Mike, Darren Bent uh, making their returns to the show. Darren, of course, a big Eagles fan. So uh, we'll definitely talk about whether he the Eagles are going to win the NFC East if they're going to win it potentially with a losing record and, and if that is the case should they be even allowed in the playoffs so interested to know what you think about that as well at the nc show is that a fair fight if a team wins a division with a losing record should they be allowed in the playoffs should they be a four seed uh at the nc show instagram facebook twitter uh, marley and the crew rolling stuff out all week long on there so make sure you get uh, stuck in with those channels and we'll be back week nine preview coming your way friday we'll see you then bye for now Podcast Network.